Amen. You can open your Bibles up to the book of Daniel, chapter 4. We'll have it on the screen, too. But, uh, and it's in the bulletin. Uh, another lengthy section we're going to be covering this morning. But uh, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll get through it all and hear from God's Word this morning. We have been uh, talking about Daniel and his three friends, for those who have been with us. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But today, I want us to look a little bit more specifically at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. I think he's an interesting figure. We've talked about him, the most powerful man in the world at the time, the king of Babylon, the destroyer of nations, ruled over most of the known world in his time. And the question I've been asking is, is he a believer or not? Uh, you may have seen that he, he sort of goes back and forth. Uh, one moment, he seems to be, be a believer. Uh, he seems to say, we've got to worship the one most high God, the God of Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then you see him building a giant statue to an idol. I go, where is the guy? Uh, is he a believer or is he not? Well, I think chapter 4 will be key <laughs> in understanding where his faith is really at. You see, if you had to deal with one, if you had to think of one sin, the one sin that Nebuchadnezzar struggled with more than any other, it would be pride. Pride. Uh, yes, he also had the issue of idolatry. But even that idolatry was really about pride. Remember, the statue was most likely uh, because of the dream, a golden image, really, of himself. He struggled with anger. Uh, but really, again, even that anger was because people wouldn't do exactly what he had wanted them to do at the moment he asked them to do it. With violence. But again, it's all about himself. You see, I think, friends, we oftentimes, we like to see ourselves when we read the book of Daniel. And I know some, this is the first time reading through Daniel. Um, you like to see yourself as Daniel. Or as Shadrach, or Meshach, or Abednego, one of these, the good guys. But what if, what if we're more like Nebuchadnezzar? Really, what if that's who we really are in this story? I heard one preacher say, when we read David and Goliath, we always want to see ourselves as David. But really, we may be more like Goliath, the one opposing God, who needs to come to repentance. And what I would say, friends, I think uh, as we look at Nebuchadnezzar being humbled in this chapter... This is a calling for us to see ourselves there, to embrace humility, to embrace humility with both hands, to, to run towards humility. If you've got pride on one side and humility on the other, run to humility. Embrace humility. Hold on to humility. Hug humility, metaphorically. Uh, we're a hugging church. I hear people say that. Man, you guys are a hugging church. Uh, people like to hug each other here. Uh, there's some folks, I think it was Bob Graham, he hugs me about three or four times before Sunday morning goes by, uh, which is fine. I don't mind a good hug. But here's another thing to hug. Hug humility. And I just, for the heck of it, I thought I'd throw some pictures up of hugging. I like to see hugging, right? Here's the first one. We can get them. There's a hug, right? A good, a good side hug, a good embrace there. Probably a husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, I'm not sure. Next one. Little girl hugging a puppy. What could be cuter than that, right? <laughs> Grabbing on, squeezing the little puppy. And then my favorite one, the third one, is a little kid hugging his dad or dad hugging his little kid, right? Something about an embrace, a closeness. But when it comes to humility, friends, I want to encourage you to embrace it, to hug it, run in that direction. I think as we look at Nebuchadnezzar's life, it'll be a warning to us and an encouragement that eventually he does come to Humility. What we said from uh, Micah chapter 6. What does God require of us? One of the things to walk humbly with our God. Daniel chapter 4 verses 1 through 27. I read the whole thing. Um, and then we'll talk through it together. Chapter 4. We read this. King Nebuchadnezzar 
to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, 
And let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be, perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. We'll get to the second part of that uh, next week. Lord willing, we're going to stop there in verse 27. Embrace humility. Embrace humility with both hands. We're going to break it up. Uh, chapters, uh, there's a breakdown in your bulletin, as always, if you want to take notes. But verses 1 through 3, that believers, meaning believers in Christ, this is pre-Christ, so he's a believer in the grace of God and the coming Messiah and so forth. But believers should be growing in humility. They should be growing in humility. In a sense, we see the end from the beginning here. Uh, as, as Nebuchadnezzar is writing this statement, he's already come to repentance, he's already come to faith, he's already been humbled. But he's saying, I'm going to give you the story, I'm going to give you the history of what brought me up to this point. Uh, how, how did I become uh, to this point where I am actually humbled before the living God? And he says, I'm going to write a, a letter to all people, a notice, a statement, uh, to everyone, every nation, every language on earth. Almost. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, of all the people, is probably one of the only people in history that could write a letter to everyone on the entire planet, with the exception of maybe Far East Asia, China, that area. Uh, Almost the entire known world is under his control here. I mean, what would you think? If you had an opportunity to write a few lines, you know, three verses or something, and you could have it said to the entire world, what would you write, I wonder? I think, I would, hopefully, I would try to share the gospel. That's what I would, I would try to do in that, that short period of time. Nebuchadnezzar actually has that ability to talk to the entire world. And what he says, as we read right here, is he wishes them peace. Well, that's new. Uh, up to this point in time, Nebuchadnezzar has not been a man of peace, right? I mean, he's been a man of violence, of domineering, of willing to throw people in a furnace if they don't do what he says. And yet, something's changed, for sure, when he says, I wish peace upon all people. And then he begins to talk about what God has done in his life. That God has shown me wonders, signs from the Most High God done for me. And then he writes about God's kingdom, which is an everlasting kingdom. Recognizing that his own temporary kingdom is, te- is not going to last. That his own life is not going to last. Uh, he remembers the dream that he had. That he's just one part of a statue, but the rock that comes and smashes the statue, fills the whole earth like a mountain. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Something's changed about Nebuchadnezzar from the first three chapters to what we see here. Something has changed and it's noticeable. And before we move on to what he says and gives us the story, friends, when you come to faith in Jesus, your life should change. Uh, not immediately, not that... You know, the day after you believe in Jesus, you have no more struggles with sin and no more dealings with temptation. But something should definitely change. If, if your life hasn't changed at all after coming to faith in Christ, something is off. That's a, that's a red flag. 
That's a mark that something is, is not, not right. Something should begin to change in your life. We see here in Nebuchadnezzar's life, you should want peace. Peace now. He's a man of peace. He doesn't want conflict, strife, division. He's a man who's after peace. He's a man who wants what's good. It seemed good to me. I, I want what's good rather than what's evil. I want to do what's right rather than what's wrong. And he's a man who wants others to know about God. Let me tell you about what the Most High has done for me. He's a man who has been humbled. He's been humbled. You know, I think, friends, that that should be true of us, that we should be growing in humility. And we all have different starting points. You know, somebody may come to faith and they're just a very meek person. Another person may come to faith and they're sort of an arrogant person. And for both of them, it's going to take time and God begins to work. And there's different starting points. It's always a process. You know, you're never at a point where you say, I've now reached humility. Because the minute you say, I've reached humility, what happened? You just revealed your pride right there, right? You just boasted about your humility. You, you can never actually reach it. It's, a, it's an end point that you're striving for your whole life, but you never actually get there. But you should be in the process and it should be very real. You're growing in humility. Friends, are you? Are you doing that? Are you growing in humility? Uh, how do you do that? Well, first, a humble person takes the focus off of themselves. <laughs> humility is the opposite of self-centeredness, right? Uh, you know, the, the constant inward focus, selfish focus, me-centered focus. It's all about me and my life and my needs and what I want out of life. That's the opposite of humility. And you take that focus and you put it outside of you. Where do you put it? A couple places. One, focus on the Lord. <laughs> you put your focus on the Lord. You love His Word. You sing His songs. You speak His prayers. You bring your thoughts to think about Him. Uh, you know, when it comes to creation, uh, the view of the Babylonians and the view of the Bible is totally different. Uh, the, the, the main book for the Babylonians is called Anuna Elish. And in it, their chief god, Marduk, gains supremacy over the other gods by killing them, <laughs> by war. So that's how it starts. There's a giant war. Marduk gets supremacy. He takes Tiamat, a female goddess, and he cuts her in half. That's their creation story. He takes the top half of her, and he makes heaven. And he takes the bottom half of her, and he makes the earth. And by the way, humans come in only because the gods want to lighten their work. You know, they're tired of doing everything, so they create humans to basically fill in the job for them. That's the Babylonian view of God. Or the chief God. Here's Genesis, the beginning view of God. First of all, it starts with God. And there is never a time in which He is not. It doesn't talk about the creation of God because God is not created. He always is. You can't say was because God never was. He is. Always. He's not created by the universe or as part of the universe. He creates the universe. But with His simple word, the heavens and the earth are His creation. And human beings, they're not created to fill in the work that He can't do it. They're created in the image of God to know Him and to love Him and to be in relationship with Him and to worship Him. How different it is, friends. We take the focus off ourselves, put it on the Lord, put the focus on other people. You know, humility is not constantly beating yourself up. What a terrible sinner I am. I'm just a horrible person. I can't do anything right. I'm totally incompetent. I'm not smart. And that's not humility. That's still, still saying, keeping the focus on yourself. Humility is to turn away from yourself and to put it on others. I like what C.S. Lewis, this is his definition of humility. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. This is the 1960s, 50s, 50s. 
He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do, do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. <laughs> That's a good definition of humility. Someone who puts the focus not on himself but on, or herself but on others. And then focus on forgiveness, on grace, on mercy, on love. Somebody who's quick to judge, quick to criticize, quick to get angry. That doesn't come out of a place of humility either. Someone who revels in God's grace and His mercy and His love and is quick to show it to others. That's a display of humility. You're growing towards that. Let's look at what actually happens here. It tells the story, verses 4 through 18, that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God deals with Nebuchadnezzar's pride. Uh, he has another dream. Those who have been with us for the series know that he had a, this dream about the statue. He has another dream that really alarms him. He's fearful. He's scared about it. He brings all the wise men and they can do nothing. Which is exactly what you'd expect them to do. Not these, these wise men are more like wise guys. I mean, they just, they got nothing to offer him. Ever. I'm not even sure why he keeps them around. But he brings Daniel and Daniel is able to reveal the dream. And he describes Daniel uh, saying he is named after his God, uh, uh, meaning Nebuchadnezzar's God, Belteshazzar, and that he has the spirit of the holy gods, plural, in him. So I think what's going on there is Nebuchadnezzar is describing how he would have viewed it at the time. So he's still thinking about the past and how he viewed the different gods at that point in time. All of the names, by the way, of the different, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they're all given these new names that their names previously honored God. And now they've come to honor the Babylonians. So Daniel means God is my judge. Do we have any Daniels here? We have some Daniels here, right? I think. Belteshazzar, his name is changed to, means Bel protects his life. So now it honors one of the foreign gods. Hananiah, the Lord is gracious. Mishael, which is the same as Michael, who is like God. Azariah, the Lord has helped. And their names are changed to Shadrach, which means the command of Aku, the moon god. Meshach, a variation, means who is as Aku is. And Abednego means servant of the god Nebu. So their names are changed to honor the different foreign gods. That was what was going on at that point in time. But he tells them about this, this dream that he has of this huge, enormous tree. And this tree is so big that it can be seen from everybody on earth. It provides food for the entire earth. All the beasts can, can find shade in it. The, all the birds of the air can uh, go in its branches, and it provides food for the earth. Here's a tree, big tree. Uh, there's a, um, that's a, what kind of tree is that? It's a redwood, right? Everybody knows that. It's so big that you actually can fit a car and a tunnel underneath it. Uh, the largest trees in our world are the giant sequoias, um, and uh, most of them are in California in the redwood forest there. Um, the biggest tree that we know of on the planet is, of course, a giant sequoia. It's General Sherman. Anyone seen General Sherman? One hand. Okay. All right. So not too many people, I guess, have been out to California to see the redwood, redwoods there. But General Sherman is a giant sequoia at Sequoia National Park. It stands 275 feet tall. It has a 102-foot circumference. And listen to this. It weighs 2.7 million pounds. <laughs> that is a big tree. Uh, but the tree in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is far bigger than anything on this planet. It fills 
the sky so that it can be seen all over the earth. And of course, that tree, he says, is representative of Nebuchadnezzar himself. And this is what he says. This, an angel comes, a watcher, most likely an angel, is what he's talking about there. says, this is what it's going to be. Next picture. Chop it down. Leave nothing but a stump. A wet stump. And he'll dwell with the beasts for seven periods of time. Most people believe the seven periods of time refer to seven years. Uh, the, the period of time would be like a winter, you know, a whole passing of the seasons. For seven years, basically, he would be like a beast. And this gigantic tree that provided shade for the whole world will be cut down. And so now we know what Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, what God thinks of Nebuchadnezzar. Not that he rejects him entirely, but that his pride is not pleasing to God. He's the tree. And that God will humble him. He will cut down his ego. He'll become like a beast of the field. We'll look at that next week, Lord willing. See, God has blessed Nebuchadnezzar with an enormous amount of authority. An enormous amount of power. An enormous amount of influence. And he has not used it to serve. He has not used it with humility. That was the reason why he gave it to him. To help others. Instead, he used it for his own pride. All authority, friends, is an opportunity to serve. If you get an opportunity to be a mayor, it's to serve your town. An employer, a boss, it's so you can serve your employees. An elder of a local church, it's so you can serve your church. Nebuchadnezzar didn't understand that the authority was meant to serve. He thought it was meant to rule only. Friends, embrace humility. Search your heart for pride. Uh, what areas of your life are you still struggling with pride? With, with self-righteousness? with ego-centeredness, with looking down upon others. I've said this before, but are there any invisible people in your life? You know, people that you think you're so much better than that you just don't even see them anymore. The barista at the coffee shop, or the janitor where you work, or the bus driver on your way to school or work. Do you notice them? Do you talk to them? Do you have a relationship with them? I think of Jesus' words when he puts the... The goat and the sheep on one on each side. What does he say? I was a stranger. And you welcomed me in. Arrogance, pride, is not cute. It's not funny. It's not a peccadillo. It's not a mere foible. In the eyes of God, it is considered evil. In fact, to live a productive, a blessed, a full, a joyful life, we're called to be humble. It's funny, you know, we see this, the idea that pride comes before a fall. We, we see that all the time. Not, not always. Somebody can be very proud right to the dying day, and God doesn't humble them in this life. But oftentimes, He gives us these little illustrations of people who have been arrogant or been proud, and they get, sort of get humbled. They get a little humble pie in this life. I can think of examples from my own life. I'm sure you can too. Uh, we see this in sports, I think. We see this in sports, uh, where people uh, get a little cocky, a little, little bit of the success gets to their head. Uh, maybe they, they celebrate a little too early. Uh, and then something happens. And no, I'm not just talking about the Falcons last year. That's not what I'm saying. But it is football season. So uh, I want to give you a little football illustration. This, this video, it's like a minute long, uh, of people celebrating a little too early. And if you're not a football fan, which I know everybody's a football fan, uh, just know this. That when you go for a touchdown, you have to cross the goal line with your hands on the ball. All right? For it to be an actual touchdown. If you let go of the ball... Before you cross the line and you celebrate too early, it's not a touchdown. Okay, so let's watch this little one-minute video here. 
Gotta get those, there we go. These are all not touchdowns. That's just a kind of a funny illustration of uh, celebrating a little too early. Uh, you know, pride comes before the fall. Uh, but there are, of course, far more serious uh, examples than that in life. The RMS Titanic was built in 1911 for the White Star Line at the, Hall, uh, the Harlan and Wolf shipyard in Belfast in the United Kingdom. A White Star Line employee at the time of Titanic's launch on May 31st, 1911 said, quote, Not even God himself could sink this ship. Pride comes before the fall. John Lennon, I love the Beatles, but John Lennon infamously said, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right, and I will be proved right. We, meaning the Beatles, we're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Fourteen years later, Lennon was shot by Mark David Chapman in New York City, December 8th, 1980. Pride comes before the fall. Friends, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 19 to 26, that wise and godly friends will help keep us humble. (laughs) Wise and godly friends help keep us humble. Daniel, Daniel comes and he interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And I like it, when he understands the dream, what happens to Daniel is he's dismayed. Uh, He's alarmed himself, and he says, may this dream be for your enemies. Uh, Daniel has come to actually care about Nebuchadnezzar, to see him as a friend, that he doesn't want him to be destroyed, doesn't want him to be cut down. Uh, He describes the dream, uh, he says that the first part is symbolic, you're the tree, you're going to get cut down. The second part is literal, you will actually lose your mind and become like an animal for seven years. That's literally going to happen, he says. Uh, But he describes the stump as surviving, it's got some bands around it, remember that? To show that God is going to protect that stump, so it's not over, there's still time to change. But he is here now trying to remind him, trying to call Nebuchadnezzar into humility. Uh, A good friend, friend, is essential for humility. A good friend is essential for humility. Perhaps others, uh, the other wise men, wouldn't interpret the dream. I mean, the dream seems pretty straightforward. Huge tree, covers the whole earth, feeds everything. Um, It seems like it's going to be about Nebuchadnezzar. But perhaps the reason they didn't want to interpret it, because they don't want to say, Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, you're going to get cut down and humbled and all that. They don't want to go into that. But Daniel is a true friend. Daniel's a true friend. He's going to tell him the truth whether he wants to hear it or not. That's the difference, friends. A real true friend will tell you what you don't want to hear, if it's for your good. Not just flatter you. They'll tell you the truth. They'll do it with love, as Daniel does here, but they'll speak the truth to you. Proverbs 28 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Daniel was willing to speak the truth to Nebuchadnezzar. 
Friends, it's true of us as well. If you, if you want to be proud and blind, then isolate yourself from everyone who disagrees with you. And you will be the greatest person in the world in your own mind. But God calls us to be humble. That's why we have the local church, by the way. We do this together. We remind, we, we can see each other's blind spots. Now, we, can't, we can't see everything ourselves, but you have a church family that can help. Community group, you get it, you're meeting every week, you're listening to what others have to say. That's why we have a board of elders. Uh, rather than a single, uh, just uh, a pastor, we have a group, we have two pastors, we have a board of elders because we speak truth into each other's lives. We can't see everything ourselves, but we can't help one another. Make sure you surround yourself with good and godly friends. I would just say, make a commitment to come to church. Uh, I know that's kind of countercultural now, uh, but make a commitment to, to come and be with God's people, hear from the scriptures. Uh, it's worked for Christians for 2,000 years. I think it's still going to work. So make a commitment to be with God's people. I love to watch people's commitment. You know, I, I remember I was at a, a Bible study one time, and there were two guys in the group who both had a colostomy bag temporarily. And they still came to Bible study. I thought, wow, that, that's more commitment than I had. If I, I was leading it, I probably wouldn't be there. I, mean, I love that commitment. Someone shows up with a, a, after recently having surgery on their open heart surgery or on the knee or whatever it is. And they commit to be with God's people. I love that. Uh, become a member. Membership matters. Uh, you're committing to one church as your spiritual family. Uh, you're, you're thick and thin. Get involved in a community group, still lots of time, try a new one out. It's great to be with God's people throughout the week. And then I would say, be a Daniel. Be a Daniel, be willing to speak the truth in love. And not to flatter, not just to puff people up, but to actually tell them when it needs to be said, tell people the truth, do it lovingly. Verse 27, the single verse at the end. God is merciful to us when we turn to him. He's merciful to us when we turn to him. Daniel calls Nebuchadnezzar to action. He says at the end, therefore, therefore, this is the end of the matter. This is, this is the whole point of what I'm trying to tell you, Nebuchadnezzar. Let my counsel be acceptable. You've got to trust me on this. Break off your sins and practice righteousness. Repent, turn away from that and turn to God and show mercy to the oppressed. Use this authority that God has given you to serve others. God has given it to you for a reason, to do good. And then perhaps he offers hope. God will lengthen your prosperity. That this judgment won't come, at least anytime soon. There's always hope. There's always hope with God in this life. Uh, and friends, when this life is over, it's over. That's it, right? There's no hope after the grave. There's no post-mortem chance to come to faith in Jesus or anything like that. But as long as you're in this life, there is time to come. The scriptures say, as long as it's called today... And it's still called today. And tomorrow, it'll be called today when tomorrow comes. So as long as we still have a day, he says there's still a chance. Don't harden, harden not your hearts. And actually, interestingly enough, we'll come to see, after those seven years, Nebuchadnezzar does come to repentance and trust in the Lord. This is why he's writing this whole thing out. Friends, where are you? Where are you? Maybe you're in a place where you are still in sin. Break off from your sin and trust God's grace. Maybe you're trying to reach out to others, friends. I would just say, always offer grace. That's one thing I love about it. Scripture never gives a blanket condemnation. I never want to speak about God's justice and His judgment without always offering hope. Because God always offers hope. And friends, especially as Christians whose faith is in Jesus, our hope is in a sacrifice that has been already offered and is complete. 
and finished. Our hope is in Jesus. So even if we are like Nebuchadnezzar, and we are at times, we trust in the grace of God. Embrace humility with both hands. Now let's throw that, that hug back up at the end there. God opposes the proud. Godly friends help keep us humble. And we can always turn to a gracious God who offers mercy. Sometimes, friends, we're not like Daniel and his three friends. We're more like Nebuchadnezzar, which is okay. Because God offers us grace, too. And offers Nebuchadnezzar grace, too. In fact, friends, humility is the only way in which we really do come to Jesus. Uh, Jesus told the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Uh, The Pharisee went to the temple, he stood in the front of the temple, and he prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like all these other sinners. I'm better than that. And it says his prayer was not accepted. But a tax collector, a known sinner, came and sat in the back. And he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He came with humility. And Jesus said, it's the tax collector that went home justified, not the Pharisee. Pride is not your friend. It's not my friend. Humility is. Let's hug humility. Embrace humility. Both arms. Pray with me. Well, gracious Father, we are thankful for your word. Thank you for the example of Nebuchadnezzar, whom, as we said before, I think we will see in glory with us. Thank you, Father, that you did not leave him in his sin, but because you do love him, you brought him to humility and ultimately to faith. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in all of our hearts, work in my heart, work in each of our hearts, Lord, to be humble. Help us to surround ourselves with good friends who remind us of the call to humility, but help us ultimately to look to the Lord Jesus, the one who has given his life in our place. Help us to come to you, Lord, not like the Pharisee with pride and self-righteousness, but like the tax collector who came in humility and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Continue to do your work here, Father. Continue to draw us to yourself. Help us to be continually humbled by your great compassion towards us as your people. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.